Hello again. Hello again. Actually, you're coming in better now. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that uh, I think a guy can tune the audio up. I'm going to see if Kieran gets the message. There you go. Hey, I'm back. Okay, so you were going on there. I'm sorry you got cut off. Yeah, sorry about that. Yay, technical difficulties. It's not my fault. It's not my software. Um, no, uh, I was, as I was saying, it, part of it may well be the, they get to a point where they can't deny that something is wrong with the thing that they're trying to change. But it's also, I suspect, a question of them not being able to deny that something is wrong. Uh, if you look at... Uh, my personal hypothesis is that the Brexit vote and a lot of the support for Mr. Trump and to a lesser extent, uh, Mr. Sanders was a question of things are kind of wrong and we need to do something in order to fix them. And while I definitely believe that moving to something like approval voting or score voting will definitely help fix those things in the political sphere. There's also the fact that this is, there, there are other things that are strange and unpleasant and they want, people want to fix. And if we can, as Jed said, strike while the iron is hot, just get out there and work on this change that you believe is good, I think we can actually do something with that. Yeah. And when it comes down to specifically electoral systems, I, mean, I think that we all agree that first past the post is garbage. And since we have, you know, this representative democracy, we have, you know, we're electing people to represent us in all these levels of government all the time. If we want our elected officials to also reflect our views on, you know, climate action and criminal justice and, you know, you know, tenant rights and, and what have you, whatever your issue or issues are, we need a system that allows you to ensure that your preferences are adequately and accurately reflected um, by the elected government. So I, I really feel in lots of cases personally that our electoral system is the root of a lot of the problems, you know, that like uh, Kieran was talking about, that, that people are seeing out there. This sense of problems comes from the fact that we, are, we have an unrepresentative democracy in many cases. And one of the things that I like to that I push when I when I'm giving my presentations on these things um, is that no matter what your issue is, if it's public transit, tenants' rights, whatever, anything that you're that is your issue, voting reform, going to an actual representative, a more representative form of voting, is going to be something that if not directly helping your issue, it's something that will level the playing field for your issue so that you can, you can actually get things moving with the support that it actually has rather than having to fight an uphill battle the entire way. Yeah. And we are, and when it comes to, you know, citizen led change, because I think that's, that's another part of what we're, we're both, all three of us, like we're talking about, like we think, uh, the citizenry should be in charge of the government, which is in charge of us, right? Like we all think that the citizenry should be reflected by our government. Um, you know, and we see, or I'm seeing like in North Dakota, for example, uh, we're seeing um, incumbents pulling back 
um, the citizenry getting to do things directly right now, because I think they see that the, that change is coming. The iron is definitely hot. They're scared. Like right now in our North Dakota legislature, legislature excuse me um we've got uh, a good you know six to seven bills that are all aimed at changing how our ballot initiative process works in north dakota and most of those bills six of the seven maybe only five of the seven are all about making it harder to get things on the ballot one of them in fact is well, we have one that doubles the signature requirement. We have another that doubles the amount of time before the election you need to get the signatures turned in by. We have another that says that a simple majority won't pass citizen-led amendments, but it has to be 60%. We have another one that says that even if the public vote for it overwhelmingly 60% or more, then the legislature gets to vote yes or no on it after that, and they can still kill it. Um, and then there's another one that says not only should the legislature um, get to vote on it once, but they have to vote on it in two subsequent um, in two sessions after the citizens pass it, which in North Dakota's case, since they only meet once every biennium would mean that we'd have a citizen amendment passed by the people in 2020. And then the legislature would finally decide that it's finally passed in a best case scenario um, by mid 2024. <laughs> so hilarious yeah absolutely right and and you know there's a long history to north dakota and how uh we have this citizen-led government and we probably have one of the the most open ballots as far as um citizen-led initiatives recalls and so on and so forth um uh, we probably have one of the most open systems for that in the nation uh and you know the people who are in power right now are pushing back hard against it because they can see that change is coming. Exactly what you guys are talking about. That's terrifying so, about the initiatives. I'm sorry. It's super terrifying. Fortunately, um, North Dakotans in particular love their initiatives. I mean, we don't always get good ones that pass from my perspective. You know, some of them are certainly still like bad things happen uh, through this. But uh, we do seem to love that process, especially because the legislature meets so infrequently. So the citizenry feels that they need to, to act while the legislature isn't around to do things. And I think that they will um, protect it, as in the citizens of North Dakota will, um, because pretty much all these changes that I described would involve changing the constitution of North Dakota, which is mandated by law has to go to a public vote. So in all likelihood, these things will be defeated, but it's still terrifying because, you know, these wins seem to be able to turn on a dime. I mean, if you consider um, the people who are pushing these uh, majority conservative and um, how North Dakota votes, you know, there is that fear there that we will shoot ourselves in the foot to prevent, you know, ballot initiatives from happening in the future. So we got to be vigilant vigilant for this kind of thing i don't know what's going on in other states on these routes but i but we have certainly seen pushback from incumbent governments against the citizens actually getting to make decisions so i'd actually have this proposal for like a restructuring of government that i kind of based off of a mix of new england and switzerland would you guys want me to explain that sure sure so basically i came up with this idea i actually wrote this model constitution around it where i call 
semi-representative democracy. It's a little bit based on Switzerland, but basically citizens can vote on actual normal legislation with representative democracy. But at the same time, the citizens' votes can count in this weird voting method that I designed. I mean, it seems a very interesting uh, idea, and I don't like the idea of taking power away from the population. But I'd be kind of concerned about that because one of the problems that um, we have, uh, I'm in the state of Washington, and we famously several years ago were one of the first two states to pass recreational marijuana laws, except because our law passed through the initiative process and it didn't have the advantage of people who were particularly good and experienced at writing laws, our law wasn't nearly as good as that of Colorado. And while I definitely agree that initiatives are good, I'm not certain that having the population be able putting in on every um, issue will always turn out well. I, oh, I thought of that too. Actually, what I decided yeah. is that the citizens, they can vote on normal legislation, but this has to be proposed by the legislator first. So like what ends up happening is like they can vote yes or no, like say something the legislator disagrees with, but the people agree with overwhelmingly, they can change it. But it, 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 it's designed specifically to make it hard to pass, specifically to avoid that scenario. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, so... Again, like I can speak from experience. Uh, so North Dakota has um, the referral process as well. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if the legislature passes something, um, we can actually do an initiative with a much lower signature threshold to force something the legislature passes um, to go to a public vote after they do it. So it's kind of the reverse of what you're talking about. You know, it's a, it's a public check on the on the powers that be of the legislature but there's there is something like that in the state of washington too although i'm not certain to what extent it's restricted i mean i know i've seen a number of things on tax bills like that so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i uh, and i see what you're saying about um uh, let's see legislation being poorly written and that would be one of the arguments of the people in north dakota who are against the initiative measure process they constantly say well these are poorly written things that are written by amateurs and now we have to change the constitution to match this crazy thing and and like i I can see that point you know i I can see sometimes they're not the best written but it seems that the pushback that we're getting is you know from the legislature from the incumbents from the good old boys club is well you shouldn't be allowed to ask for things at all, period. Yeah, that's that's just ridiculous. And even even with my own concern, the correct the uh, the best way forward to solve that concern is not a question of not letting people do it. It's helping them do it well. Yes, like that's what happened for our local initiative. Um, I, you know, I would craft some paragraphs i had some help from other allies and you know we we'd craft out what we want this to look like and then i went back and forth with the city auditor and the city attorney and the um, county auditor a little bit and to make sure you know is this worded right like i would read through the century code which is what our, our you know the statutes in north dakota are called and be like all right well i think that we can adjust our voting system like this, this, and this because of this, this, and that. 
And then I'd send those arguments to the city attorney. And he was more than happy um, to help flesh this thing out because he knew that if this were to pass, he has to defend it. He has to deal with this thing. So it's in his best interest because we're going to do it regardless of whether he wanted us to do it. So he worked with us to make sure that it was written um, in uh, a proper way to fit into our charter and the laws in North Dakota. And now like the city auditor and the city attorney are both very happy with how the language turned out and the fact that, you know, they're going to have to deal with it now, you know, like they're more than comfortable with what it is because they helped to write it in that sense that they were willing to critique it and put some red marks on it and say, you know, you should adjust this or maybe I would do this, you know, so on and so forth. That's very, as someone who's, who's planning on, pushing for a score voting initiative at some point in the future. That's very reassuring that you could, that you had that experience. And I, I I hope that you have it. (laughs) I hope. Right. Right. But the fact that that the fact that you had it is, is very reassuring. That means that it will happen some places, perhaps not in my jurisdiction, but that means that there will be other people who do try and push for this sort of improvement can get, the help that they need from at least yeah. the right sort of of city attorney and auditor and the like yeah yeah hit them up um you know talk to your local you know to your elected officials or if you you don't feel that the elected officials that are for your district um represent you talk to ones that do that are you know that have been elected you know they, they'll in, in my experience they're still helpful um in, in, in because they, you know, if they align with you on this issue, they're going to try to help you to it if they're an elected official. And otherwise, if they're just someone who works for the government, it's in their best interests again. So hopefully they will help you. Admittedly, North Dakota is a small state. Um, I, you know, when I talk about talking with the Secretary of State's office, I'm talking about talking to the Deputy Secretary of State a lot, um, specifically. And, you know, he'd call me back. I'd leave him messages and he'd call me back. So I understand that that is, that feels kind of crazy probably uh, to people who live in larger states with larger central governments. Well, I'm from Ohio. My uh, county has the same amount of population that lives in your state or around the same. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it's crazy. (laughs) I mean, uh, Fargo has a population of roughly 130, 135,000 people. Um, The, the whole area, so Fargo is on the border between North Dakota and Minnesota. Uh, so if you count our side of the river, their side of the river, and, you know, a few mile radius around it, there's about a quarter of a million people here. But that's it. You know, so, so very small compared to what most people are used to thinking of when it comes to government. And so that's advantageous for us in many ways. It's also disadvantageous when it comes to, well, I've heard of you, you know, because people already know if you're coming at them what you're going to be asking about. So they might already have formed an opinion before you get to them. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm looking at it. I think, I think likewise, my county may have um, a comparable number of people in it at, to your state. Yeah, our population's about 750,000. Yeah, so, about that. Yeah. Yeah, we're a little one. <laughs> we're all spread out. Though, so. But that's yeah it's just one of those things about being up here we, we have a a rich history of um citizen-led 
movements, uh, prairie populism, if you will. Um, so, and that that's still here, d- despite the fact that we have a very um, conservatively voting state. We actually have a very left um, leaning history in that regard, which is why we have the initiative process we do. That's why we have the recall process we do for officials. And yeah, I, I hope the more states are able to to have this because not every state gets to do this. In Minnesota, they don't do initiated measures, uh, to my knowledge. So if you were in a Minnesotan city and you said, well, I want to do this, I want my government to switch, you would in all likelihood have to convince the members of your city's charter commission um, to refer uh, a change like this to the ballot. So we're here, we got to go directly, you know, to sidestep the elected government, but it's a different game in different states. So it's good that in your state, Kiernan, that you have, um, that you we do have, have an uh, initiative process. Um, one other thing that that came up with your mention of the uh, prairie progressivism, or how you call it, uh, prairie populism. Prairie populism. I can word. I swear. It's okay. We had something called the nonpartisan league a long time ago. I can get in the history of that too. But yeah, fire That's, away. Um, one of the things is that if you have a state, I mean, it sounds like you have a state that is that seems very much on one side of the political spectrum on some issues and kind of on the other side on some other issues. And that's one of the things that I really like about um, approval voting and score voting is that at least in theory, if you have more candidates, you can get people teasing out the various topics that are normally uh, the red team's topic or blue team's topic, but Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to vote for team red or team blue to get that topic picked up if there's somebody who's on who's on your side on multiple issues that cross that traditional divide yeah absolutely um like i said our local races are nonpartisan, but we have lots of people who run for them who are definitely like there's generally your conservatives and your progressives that run but there's a lot of nuance within that and then you, you know for statewide races while um, the Democrat side in particular is um, very, um, has a very small um, contingent at the legislature, uh, the Republican side is a very large one. And, but within that, not all Republicans are by any means the same. And that's pr- pretty clear to voters here that there are, you know, this type of Republican and that type of Republican, that type of conservative, this type of conservative throughout. So there's still, you know, a lot of room to make sure that those conservative voters can find um, the type of conservatism that they're looking for um, here. And I think approval will just continue to do that, whether there's parties or whether there aren't any, it will help us to narrow down and focus on the candidates that best represent people. Well, you know, I'm kind of in, in like Summit County. Oh, I'm sorry, we're going to say something, Kieran. No, go ahead. Uh, in Summit County, we kind of have a bit of the opposite thing. Summit County is very liberal for the most part, except in the north kind of where I'm in. But uh, I don't think there's really that much of a reformist movement. I mean, yeah, they're progressive, but I don't really see the Democratic machine really wanting to give up any power that they already have, especially because at the city and county level, that's most of the support they get because the Republicans kind of gerrymandered a lot of our county out of this thing. Yeah. I don't really know if they're going to want to give up power through approval voting. That 
actually um, reminds me. I mean, yes, we, we've we've discussed how how they are definitely how people in power are reluctant to give it up. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that I I've in some of my toy experiments, one of the things that I've found about um, approval voting and score voting is that they actually make it harder to gerrymander mm -hmm. because while in any voting system where a, a given ballot will be for being for candidate A means that they are not for any other candidate, at that point, you kind of can figure out, okay, they're going to be slightly more towards this person than that person, and we can figure out how to gerrymander from that. But if you have approval voting where they can vote for multiple people, what you kind of end up with when you try to gerrymander is, sure, you might be able to get one district that is very, very, um, very, very aligned for your party or very, very aligned for the other party. But when you have a slight, but that just means that they're going to have a solid seat. And if you're trying to crack populations such that you have 53% party A and 52 uh, and 48% 47% party B, well in that case you don't end up with party A, you end up with somebody who's halfway in the middle because they can appeal to both sides. It's really interesting to see how gerrymandering could be if not cured very much mitigated and made somewhat pointless by something like score voting or approval voting when broadly implemented. So do you think yeah, that? Oh, sorry. I just know even when applied to just single winner elections, like you're saying here, like it would work fine. Like I still love to have proportional for multi winner elections, but yeah, what you're saying is even with a single winner election, I think you're saying yes, yes, you know, precisely. Gonna see yeah, absolutely. And then I was just thinking to myself, well, how would I gain that if I were in power? And because I wouldn't have the data uh, available to me, right? Because I would look at how the precincts, like the lowest level I'd have would be a voting precinct of the data. And those are generally kind of large. Um, so th the way that you would get more granular data would be to have what? More voting precincts and smaller ones, which means more people would be able to vote more easily. So they might even shoot themselves in the foot if they even tried to fight it. Like if they needed to really find out where those lines are, they need to get deeper and deeper uh, into it. It's my, my point was more that because score voting and approval voting are more uh, representative of what people are actually, what the constituency as a whole yeah. is, yeah. even if you do draw the lines, yes, um, this district might be slightly more blue but you do that at the cost of turning a different district slightly more red. Yeah. So yeah. they might be able to do it again in single, in single district scenarios, you might be able to gerrymander, but it will be nowhere near as effective as it is under a lot of other voting systems, especially our own. So, We're just giving more people in power, more reasons to oppose. <laughs> Oops. But well, frankly, I, go on, if we were going to, Sorry, I'm sorry for interrupting again. I mean, if we're going to go on with this, should we get rid of primaries? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, so that was one of the things that was re recommended. Um, 
So here we have a June primary, and then we have a November general. And for our city races in particular, we just have one race for those. But for legislative stuff and national stuff, it's all a primary and a general. But it seems like, what, people just fall off after the first one, or they can't. Like, if it's a traditional, like, a runoff, it's going to occur, occur out of cycle. At some weird times, so you end up with less people showing up. And if it's, you know, you go from a June to a November, so from a smaller election to a big one, you're not going to have the same electorate running at the other one or voting at the second one anyway. All right, I'm, what are your guys' thoughts? I, I think that having a, a lot of, I mean, now this is not exclusive to, um, this is not exclusive to score and, and score star approval, that sort of thing, the cardinal voting methods. But one of the major advantages to, um, one of the major advantages to uh, to voting reform is that you can get rid of primaries. You don't have to have the expense of running two elections per office. Yeah. Um, but also, primaries are primaries are, primaries are a band aid on a uh, trying to stop the 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 hemorrhaging due to vote splitting. I mean, the primary, the only reason that you need a primary is so that you don't have Teddy Roosevelt making the Republicans lose. Um, it, you don't end up with, it's primarily to make sure that you don't end up doing vote splitting. We, we had a horrible case of the, that um, in the state of Washington, we had three Republicans, sorry, strike that three Democrats and two Republicans running for the 2016 treasurer's race. Two, the two Republicans split 48% of the vote and the three Democrats split 52. And the two Republicans went on because 48 split two ways is larger than 52 split three ways. Mm -hmm. So that's just a, the, the primary, even though we have top two primary, which is better than partisan primary, Mm -hmm. still end up with questionable results that are only there because you have vote splitting. When you get, when you solve things like vote splitting, um, you don't need to have multiple, multiple rounds of of elections. Yeah, absolutely. We would, we'd point that out uh, to people on the street. They'd say, well, I think we should have a primary. And then I'd say, well, what does a primary really do? Especially, in these situations where we have nine people running for our seats, 12 people, 11 people, like we historically have a lot of people running. I say, well, what does the primary do? We just, we still have vote splitting. It's just, we moved it up. We've just moved it ahead in the calendar a few months. So, I mean, how do we combat that? Have another primary in there? Then how many rounds do you have? Like, it doesn't actually solve the problem. We just say like the point, the vote splitting is the problem. We need to address that directly. And you're, I love that you call it a bandaid because that's exactly what it is. It doesn't fix anything. I'm jealous that you guys actually have top two move on from your primary, though, because we have, well, we don't have voter registration in North Dakota. We're the only state that doesn't have it. Um, in fact, uh, we only recently got voter ID. It used to be even easier to vote in North Dakota than it is now. Try to imagine that. You could vote with an affidavit. Just somebody, you know, just sign and say, no, I live here. And that was enough to vote. Um, and they recently instituted voter ID, but um, you still have to choose in the primary election which side of the ballot you're going to vote on, the Republican side or the Democrat one or the Libertarian one or what have you. 
and it's really the pits because lots of our races are decided by that primary here locally and the general public doesn't really get to vote on it in that sense in a lot of places that have priorities in primary that's exactly what happens um there's actually the center for election science who um i understand helped you with the reform fargo thing um, absolutely yes great guys thank them enough. yeah yep. good good people um mm-hmm. they actually published something uh back in 2016 that found that according to polls and of course polling data is is questionable and is increasingly questionable as people are less inclined to answer calls from unknown numbers um as as it went on they found that bernie sanders may have been the condorcet winner the the he would have theoretically would have been able to beat any other candidate who was running for office. Yeah, but, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, I actually did some research, and conservative voters actually favored Bernie Sanders of all Democrats. I don't know how. Part of it, part of it, I think, goes back to what I was saying earlier about thinking that something is wrong. And yeah. Mrs. Clinton, as estab- as as eminent a statesperson as she is kind of represented the status quo and for all that mr sanders had been in in office for basically my entire life he's at some at some level or another he's always been saying hey something's wrong we need to fix it and i think that was leaning towards the same sort of we need to change something movement but one yeah. of the one of the problems with partisan primaries is that okay, sure, I will concede that that the um, that the Democrats were preferred Mrs. Clinton to Mr. Sanders. Fine, if that's what they wanted, that's what they wanted. Great, but that it's not just the Democrats who are going to be represented by the president. It's going to be the entire population, and it's not just going to be the Republicans represented by Mr. Trump. It's the entire population. So having partisan primaries, that's the reason that you end up with, uh, that's part of the reason that members of Congress cannot compromise, cannot work reach across the aisle as much anymore. Because as we saw with um, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, um, People in solidly red or blue districts, which gerrymandering happens and is wonderful, they Mm -hmm. in in a solidly red district, a Republican doesn't have to worry about who the Democrat is going to be if the Democrat if the Democrats are going to even run somebody because whoever wins the Republican primary is going to win the seat. So they don't have to worry about do they appeal to Democrats? They have to worry about do they appeal to the Republican base more than anyone who might challenge them? Yep. I've, I've voted in a primary that didn't, you know, that had candidates that didn't mostly align with me um, on several occasions because I wanted to vote in the primary that mattered for the elections that I was at. It's the pits. Uh, There's again, to talk about the the history of my lovely tiny state, um, there was a way, um, we had something called the Nonpartisan League in the early 1900s, uh, which was uh, basically a lot of concerned farmers that were upset with out-of-state interests manipulating grain prices. 
they managed to get around the primary problem in their case by actually running NPL candidates in both the Democrat and Republican primaries. And in many situations, they ended up um, winning. So it ended up being NPL candidate versus NPL candidate um, in the general election. Oh, no, whatever shall we do? Yeah. Oh, no. The neutral planet. (laughs) Yeah. So, and there you go. And that's why we, um, because they won and because um, of the changes and reforms that they instituted, that's why we have the open ballots that we have here in North Dakota now, as well as a state bank and a state mill. So, so anything you guys want to promote? We, and then I'm going to just move on to our questions from the subreddit in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nothing in specific. Um, I, yeah, I don't have anything specific, I'm afraid. Nope. Okay, so these are some questions. I think some of them might have already been answered a little bit, but I thought these were pretty good questions. Uh, can we change our city's voting system to approval voting with a citizen's position? Uh, the signature requirements for a citizen's position to create a city new or a new city ordinance is low. I assume that's in his city. Could proportional approval voting be used for all city seats, city council seats, by approval voting for USA? Um, so it depends on where you live if you can do that. But let's assume that you can. I, I think the general's an, uh, the answer is generally yes uh, to that. But you need to look at how your local government is structured and what changes your local government is allowed to make. Um, for us in Fargo, the, not only does our state constitution and century code, again, the statutes of North Dakota, um, do they explicitly say that the cities can change how they elect uh, their officials, aside from you know, qualifications like you know, U.S. citizen, resident of North Dakota, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, our city charter also explicitly uh, confirmed that and said, yes, we have the right to do this. And so it was very clear that we had the power vested at our city municipal level that we could make that change. That'd be something that um, this particular user would need to check out. Look at your city charter or whatever it's called, find out, well, do we have the power to do this? And if you have to start moving up the chain, you know, move to the state government level and say, and look at the constitution of your state and the statutes and determine for sure if you can do it. And if the answer to all that stuff is yes, then you got to look at, well, would, what equipment does our city use? Would we be able to do proportional with that? Would that make sense? A city council, he says city council, um, this user says city council in this question, um, that implies that um, they have single winner seats. So um, proportional means that you're going to have multi-winner seats. So that would mean you have to redistrict the city or combine districts somehow. Um, in order to elect multiple people at once, or at least say, we're going to elect three people uh, from each of these uh, wards or districts instead of just one, and you know, maybe triple the size of the commission or something like that, or the, the council or something like that. There's, so there's lots of little questions you got to answer. Um, and if you can get yeses next to all those, or at least some of them, uh, I think that you can move forward with it. And then after that, it just comes down to find people who are willing to help you and not just, oh, I'll, I'll chip in a few bucks. Because believe me, Money is very handy. We were fortunate um, to have a good relationship with the Center for Election Science. We applied for a grant from them and they awarded it to us. And we were able to leverage that into a lot of advertising and, um, and uh, printing costs and that kind of thing on the ground. But having people power 
having volunteers who are actually willing to come out with you night after night and not only collect the signatures to get it on the ballot, but that's when the game really starts because now you need to convince the voters to vote for it. So you got to go out night after night, knock on doors and hand the people literature. Like that's what it comes down to. So could it be done in your city? Absolutely. But you got to organize people, inspire them, give them the case as to why this is important. And then, you know, be out there and make sure you're always out there doing it yourself and drag everyone else with you if you can. And one thing that I would add, because yes, it is, it does come down to jurisdictions. There are a lot of cases where you might be able to um, take a shortcut as it were. Mm -hmm. If you talk to your city councilors or your mayor or whatever your local jurisdiction is like, because it tends to be, at the city and municipal and town level, people are more involved in politics, less as a career, uh, so much as a, an attempt to fix things. So even if you don't have the initiative or referendum procedure uh, uh, pr uh, process available to you, sometimes you can get, so get elected officials on your side because there are benefits even for elected officials um, to this sort of change. And it's always nice to be able to say, hey, wouldn't you like to have this as your legacy? So if there are other ways to do it, even if the laws are a little bit more restrictive. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I said earlier, in Minnesota, uh, they don't have the initiative process. So you have to go through the charter commission of whatever city you happen to be in and convince them to do it. And that's, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I haven't heard of a city council or commission that isn't able to put something to a public vote if they want to. So that might be the first way, the best way to do it. Get the public thinking about this thing. Bring it up at a city council or city commission meeting publicly and find out what their stances are to see if you can make some noise in town to, to feel what people are thinking. Maybe you can get some wind behind it without having to go through the signature gathering process. But either way, you're definitely going to need to get people to knock on doors to convince the public to vote for it. Unless, you know, the city can just make that change. You know, the city council can just make it unilaterally without public input, which I would doubt would be the case. So uh, when I'm looking at it, there's a, there's a couple more questions that they have, but I think a lot of people have been asking sort of about, uh, like, I know Chakuni, he asked, would approval have been passed had Fargo not been electing people with 20% of the vote? And then uh, Seventh Third Zuria worried that instead of just electing too many, uh, like the old system electing conservative candidates, he worries that the new system would elect more progressive candidates, overrepresent progressive candidates. What would you say to those uh, individuals? Okay, um, so let's see how I put this. Yes, um, he says in his question that one complaint with the previous system of plurality at large voting in the last election was that both city council seats, uh, it's the city commission last year, went to conservatives, even though more total votes were cast for progressives because too many progressive candidates split the vote. Um, he's right. Um, uh, that was one of the complaints. Um, so as far as to address that, I think that if Fargo is mostly conservative, we should have a mostly conservative government. And I think that if Fargo is mostly progressive, we should have a mostly progressive government. And if Fargo is mostly in the middle, we should have a mostly in the middle government. And approval voting will 
ensure that that happens without vote splitting leading to uh, asymmetrical balance of power. Okay. And I, I, would, also, I, was... oh, I would like to add that even if you did have a scenario where there were, they had lots of uh, more progressive candidates than they had uh, conservative ones. And because of that, you ended up with a conservative solution uh, result or like we had in Washington state, what you would end up with something like approval voting or score voting is that the, it may be the case that the progressives or conservative side quote unquote wins, but because everybody has an, has an opportunity to give their input on all of the candidates, what you would end up with is the more progressive conservative candidates winning or the more mm. conservative progressive candidates winning yep such that absolutely it, w it ends up being much more reflective of the constituency as a whole which goes back yeah what we're not going to get is vermin supreme winning. you know like that's what's not going to happen we're not going to have some extremist um, out there who doesn't actually have support winning. In order to win with approval voting, you have to have support of the public. Um, and if anything, you're going to need to have more support from the public than our current system does. At least you'll have the ability to, to express that. And that's what's important here. So as I was saying, Shakuni, he worries, I think you kind of answered this, that you guys got this by and large passed through a referendum and the commission was against you, but he's worried that... Uh, Approval. You said, would approval have been passed if Fargo not been electing people with 20% of the vote? And by the way, I'm sorry for the loft, I mean, for the seventh Surya guy. I did paraphrase your question because it was a little long. But uh, so uh, I, I think you answered that, right? So, sorry, what was the question? He was worried that approval only got voted in because of the plurality system in Fargo. Because you had such minority winners. Yeah. Oh. Um, huh, maybe, um, but is that a bad thing? I mean, we had our current system was showing us that we could have winners where quite literally four out of five, you know, seven out of 10 voters didn't vote for the people who won. And then that was enough to convince the public that this thing needed to be improved. So I, I don't see that it's a bad thing, but that's what happened here. I mean, I can see maybe the reverse of the argument of, well, gosh, we always seem to get good winners, so we don't need to switch to approval voting, or we won't be able to convince people to do it. But if you're already getting good winners, then why would... I, mean... I don't think I don't think that it's... I, I understand his concern that... Um... I understand the concern that if you are in an area that doesn't have particularly bad results, you might not have as much pressure. Mm -hmm. I, I can, I can yeah, definitely understand where that's coming from. But at the same time, um, everybody, most everybody remembers the Florida 2000 problem where mm -hmm. Nader voters voted their conscience and got the worst of three options or or if you're old enough the um 1992 ross perot vote splitting problem this is something that if you look for any decent amount of time 
you're going to find examples of it going wrong where either people felt they couldn't vote for who they actually wanted to vote for for fear of the spoiler effect or mm -hmm. they did vote for who they want and they experienced the spoiler effect this is a common enough scenario that you can leverage the fact that the problem exists to make progress yes i i completely agree yep i think that's how it works and if to, to carry on with that a little more if you're saying that you know there is a scenario where the government isn't you know you aren't getting these horrible results then maybe um the idea of switching to an even better election system would be less threatening to them because if they're winning and they're still getting good results under the current system, they could still continue to get those um, under a better one. So, so uh, basically, so this is Blah Face 50. He says, the thing I really like about approval voting is that it's easier to organize voting blocks around issues. Are, th are you guys planning on doing anything to help Fargo voters keep track of endorsements of advocacy groups or newspapers? Maybe like creating a website or volunteering to create a Fargo page for ballot Ballotopedia or something? Um, yeah, so we're, we're definitely planning um, an education campaign uh, when it comes to the next June election that we have. Uh, we're not entirely sure what we're going to go about there because we're a nonpartisan organization, but we'll certainly, you know, like, so we're not going to come up for or against any particular candidate or anything, unless there's a candidate who says, I hate approval voting, it needs to go away, then we come out against them, obviously. Um, but um, yes, uh, we, we do plan to not only remind the public that this one particular part of your ballot can be voted with differently. Um, but, you know, we don't necessarily want to lend um, support or seem biased in any way towards any group of candidates if we can help it, I guess. So I, I we will, we will educate and yes, maybe do some sort of voting guide, but we also already, there are already organizations in Fargo that do voting guides. So we will work with them to ensure that they remember that the voting system is different now. And perhaps, you know, their polling and so forth will change to reflect the voting system because polling has to work the same way that the voting system does there. It won't be very accurate. I don't think either. So that's actually uh, an amusing thing. Um, something that I find particularly amusing is that uh, the current polling methods that a lot of pollsters use with the strongly approve, approve, strongly disapprove, disapprove, unknown, that's, that's score voting. Yeah, absolutely. It's score voting. So the, what we have already in the, in uh, polls a lot of times is score voting so they wouldn't even have to change anything to get that done yeah like, like we're already using these better systems all over the place like one of the jokes i would tell people is that imagine if on facebook you had one like and that was it it's all you could use the entire time that you're on it um and that's analogous to what our current system is in, in many respects we say like you should be able to approve of more than one thing and all these systems already use better things. Like you said, your polling does. The rating at a restaurant after you pay, you know, and doing some survey. All We're using better, more expressive systems all the time. But for our government, we use the worst one. I think drawing names out of the hat would be better. 
in some respect. Well, I, I try to explain to people that Chinese one-party communist state theoretically has more parties in its legislature than the United States does. I'm not making this up. There's 10 parties in the Chinese legislature. <sighs> to, to be fair, one of the things that I always have to explain to um, my, uh, fr- my European friends is that the the United States Republican Party and the America and the United States Democratic Party are really a lot closer to coalitions as other countries understand them than they are to actual parties. Definitely. I mean, you got the Tea Party and the uh, you got the Tea Party, the standard conservative Republicans. You got a lot of different things under the Republican umbrella. You've got the progressives and you got the more establishment blue dog Democrats, for example, under the Democratic umbrella they aren't really just two parties any more than, than the, the coalition is yeah, it's just, it's hard classifying parties in practical terms. Well, that's definitely true. Uh, I, I don't think you, ever, you can really see as much factionalization, uh, except maybe in Australia, which they use instant runoff, which is kind of a two, creates a two party system anyways. Uh, okay, so uh, I have two more questions. One's really long and one's kind of short. So basically, uh, progress, and I'm going to paraphrase them. Uh, and I'm sorry if I've been paraphrasing. I'm misunderstanding what you guys are saying, but I'm trying to trying to speed things up a little bit. Uh, this is by oh yeah, I said progress nerd. Anyways, he said basically when approval pr- voting has been tried in competitive events, uh, he's been basically worried that people are going to select uh, their first choice, not number anything else in order for their first choice to not have any disadvantage, you know? Yeah, so, so what do we – so what's our response to that? Yeah. What you're asking? Um, well, um, so, so the first – so that issue came up a lot. Uh, when I had uh, radio interviews about this and, and the public would sometimes bring it up too. And they say, well, I have a favorite. I don't want to hurt others. So why should I vote for them? And I think my answer generally was, and still would be, um, there are lots of great reasons to vote for just one person. First off, like you might have a perfectly good reason. If they're of the 10 people who are running for, for mayor, if only one of them appeals to you, please only vote for one person. Like this idea that bullet voting is necessarily bad, I think is uh, like a premise that I reject um, to start with. Now, and beyond that, then I take issue with just the notion that if we say, oh, normally you can only vote for one, but now you can vote for all the candidates you approve of that voters overwhelmingly are going to say, well, I'm just going to vote for one even harder now instead. And they, you know, they're not going to take advantage of the expressiveness there. Um, if you look at the results that we have had in our local elections thus far, we have winning candidates and, you know, second, third place candidates only deferring by a few hundred votes um, at the most. Um, in our last election, the difference between second and third place for commission, which means a winner and then the first loser, so to speak, was, I think it was 105 votes or 108 votes or something like that. Approval in all likelihood, I have to imagine, would have changed that result given 
you know, my knowledge of the, the candidates how it broke down and their political views and everything after that. Um, so even if nine out of 10 voters say, gosh, I really need to protect my favorite candidate, that is continue to vote the way that they have been able to vote historically in Fargo without changing how they vote, just simply voting the way they always have. That one out of every 10 voters is going to be enough to change the results to, in all likelihood, a more popular candidate, a candidate by expanding that base of support um, and showing who has the broadest support. Like they'll, they'll be able to change those results. Like it still matters. Like all, that's what I said. And it's not only the broadest, and it's not only the most support, it's the broadest support. One of the problems with single mark is you get the people who have the most um, vocal supporters who have the, who are most electable end up winning rather than the people who actually are supported by the broadest number of people. I, I do kind of share the concern about um, bullet voting under approval voting. Uh, it, it is something that that's part of the reason that I like that I prefer score voting because then you can support other candidates while still privileging your favorite. But I'm not certain that I agree that the idea that bullet voting is inherently bad is a false one because again, everybody, nope, you don't lose anything by having the opportunity to vote for, to approve of multiple candidates. If you want to vote for one person, sure, go right ahead. But you have the but you do not have the opportunity to approve of multiple candidates under our current system. And I have seen uh, to to piggyback on Jed's point, I have seen the results ch change within within a set of within a set of voters. Uh, counted did a straw poll back in June, and the second uh the we had we were looking at the top two because we have top two primary under first past the post candidate a and ca candidate a came in first and candidate b came in second when we had um under approval voting or score voting candidate c came in second and got an opportunity to move on when i ran the numbers for the actual election uh, again, just simulation. It's not, it, I don't know, but I'm pretty certain that had we run our, had the 10th Congressional District of Washington run the primary with either approval or score voting, we would have had a different second candidate on the ballot for the general election. And it wouldn't have been a coronation ceremony because they would have had to the the incumbent and eventual winner would have had to work to keep his seat and actually pay attention to what his city said. So I don't it's think humanity. What's that? <laughs> yeah, what a, what a horrible situation where the candidate would have to pay attention to the voters in order to get elected. Huh? Um, so. I would also mentioned that the candidate who ended up winning neither attended the straw poll nor attended a uh, one of the events uh, between the primary and uh, and general election he 
felt he didn't need to work, it seems. So even with bullet voting, you're still going to get an improvement. So last question. Uh, this is from Simplolo, I think his name is. Question. What would you do differently, i.e. lessons learned? Yeah. Um, so admittedly, you know, still decompressing a bit from the election. I know that, you know, it's been a few months now, but it, it was, approval voting was part of my life for a couple of years and it's still part of my life, obviously, but, you know, really working on it was part of it for a long time. Um, as far as what we do differently, I think that one of the important things that we would do is that we'd try to recruit volunteers even earlier um, as far as this goes. Like it's, it's almost never too early, I think. Um, to recruit people to help us. We had, we had a, a very good result um, of our vote. And we were fortunate enough to get grant money from CES um, to help us pay for many things. Um, but when it comes down to the, the areas that we could have improved, really it was just more, uh, more volunteers earlier on. So it wouldn't have been as much burden on a handful of our volunteers that we had and it's, it's just hard to find those people when it came to collecting the signatures um i gathered over half of them personally you know more volunteers would have been helpful with that i would have been less burnt out i would have been easier to get along with probably <laughs> at the time working on these things if i hadn't been out all the time working um gathering the signatures um, so uh just more volunteers is really the biggest thing aside from that i think that we did a good job uh, when it came to our advertising. Um, I think that we did a good job when it came to the door knocking, you know, in the 11th hour, especially at the end. Uh, we built coalitions. Uh, we worked, we reached out to different neighborhood associations in Fargo, met with them. We, we were constantly um, giving presentations, holding public forums, um, and reaching out um, to the media and being available for the media when they reach out to us. So I feel that we did execute all of those points very well. Um, if anything, maybe we could have ended up and had more of a presence at even more um, different community events. Um, some of them we didn't realize were coming up until it was too short notice for us to attend. So it's just, you know, maybe just some better organization on that front, if possible. So I think this is kind of all. I think we got everything. Would you guys agree with that? I think I talked too much. So <laughs> I think we all did. Uh, but uh, I hope you guys have an absolutely terrific night. This was absolutely amazing what you guys did for me. Thanks for your time. Uh, I will hopefully get this up in a couple of days. What, what do you say?